Welcome to Portico Church, Arlington. Uh, as Pastor Johnny Reeves said, uh, we want you to feel at home. Come on, it's Easter, right? We know some of you are coming because it's Easter. No shame in that, um, right? Some, let's just be honest. There's seasons in our life where we feel like the lost sheep. Uh, we want you to connect. Our mission statement here is to unite people to life in Christ. So we want you to know what that means, what it means that you're uniting yourself to a living God not to a dead idea. So that, that's our hope today. Um, I'm going to just jump on the train that Pastor Reeve started. He is risen. He is risen you got it. You got it. Um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 16. We're actually finishing a sermon series that we started several weeks ago. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. You don't need to have a Bible. We're going to put it up on the screen. But if you want one, we have some in the back. Feel free to get that. Uh, and if you need a Bible, please take that home. Let it be a gift to you. Um, and the question we've been walking through is this. Uh, in Mark's gospel, in chapter 8, he asked Peter, one of the prominent apostles, um, one of the most bold disciples that he had, hey, who do you say that I am? And he said, the Christ. And it was true. He's the king. He's the Messiah. He's the chosen one to come to redeem, to save. But what we think that means and what that works out to mean become very different as we watch Jesus uh, walk through to the cross. Uh, so today we're going to understand, that's our goal, we want to understand what it means that Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Christ. Um, I had lunch with a friend of mine just a couple of weeks ago, a dear friend of mine, and we were eating lunch and I kind of asked a dangerous question. You know, sometimes I talk before I think, that's one of my things that I like to do. And I said to him, and I kind of caught myself, I was saying, you know, listen, we're, I'm not 25 anymore, I'm just going to say that, neither is he. I said, hey, if you could accomplish one significant thing before you die, what would it be? And then we just kind of looked at each other. We're like, hey, we're a lot closer to death than we used to be. <laughs> so we started talking about that. And there was kind of this melancholy that came over and said, you know, honestly, 25 years ago, um, here's what I wanted to accomplish. Dun, 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 dun. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Here's what I wanted to do. And we're like, hey, man, we, we've got 20 years of running hard in the working world. That's it, probably, if we're lucky. If God is merciful to us. And he's like, yeah, I know. It's like, maybe one thing we can pull off. Yeah, it was kind of sad. And, and so what we realize is, <laughs> more so for him maybe, I don't know. Here's why we were sad. There's a gap between what we wanted to accomplish and the reality. There's a big gap. How do you feel that gap? What, what do you call that gap? Um, we know how this works. When you're young, life is, is, is all about what can be. And almost the opportunities are paralyzing away because it could be anything, right? When you, when you get a little older, life becomes about all that should be and that isn't. Man, I wanted to do that. Or life should be like this for me. Or life should be like that for me. When you get older... Life becomes all about what will never be. And you kind of have to come to terms with that, uh, these expectations. That's why there's this mantra out there that says um, life is all about um, managing the expectations. Have you ever heard of that? Manage the expectations and you'll be happy. In fact, they did a study uh, in 2014. Uh, it was, where was that? University College in London. And the premise was this. If you lower your expectations, you'll be happier translation, just give up hope and you're going to feel better about life. My dad literally used to say that. He'd say, you know, Jason, I feel so much better after I gave up all hope. I didn't get it. <laughs> this is not an Easter sermon. What happened? Um, 
I'm so sorry for all you visitors. But it's true. Let's just be honest about it for a minute. When we lower our expectations, um, we feel better. And here's why. Here's the dark side of that. We get really tired of living in sorrow. We get really tired of, of the things that we want to happen slipping through our hands. We get tired of disappointment. Or depending on your circumstance, you just get tired of outright tragedy. You're tired of it. I don't want it anymore. In Mark's gospel, there's a huge, huge gap in their expectations. And it gets widest at the crucifixion and even wider at the resurrection. And it's not an information problem. I'm just going to throw that out there. It's not like they'd never heard what was going to happen. It wasn't like Jesus didn't teach them for three years. There's an expectation problem, and they end up in despair, fear, chaos, panic. So we're going to walk through this today. It's the resurrection. That's what we're preaching. And let me ask you this. Do you expect too much out of life? What about you think that? You think maybe, yeah, I'm kind of goal-oriented. Maybe I expect too much out of life. Maybe that's the problem. Let's turn that for a minute. Maybe you don't expect enough out of life. Maybe the expectations that you have set up in your life are making it impossible for you to see what God has on your doorstep, making it impossible for you to understand what it means that he wants you to live in the expectation of eternal life and all that means for you, not for your future right now. This is what the resurrection is about. It's not about heaven. It's part of the story. It's about now. It's about now. So let's jump in. Uh, We're going to be in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, uh, and you're going to see how his gospel ends. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. That's Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, well, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for fear. I pray that as we take a deep long stare into the tomb, maybe not knowing what we're going to see, that trembling will turn into joy. Lord, this is your word. You present yourself to us in great grace and precision and in great power through your word. Would you bless us this morning as we open it up and look into it that we might behold its treasure. We commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what are you living in expectation of? Clearly, Jesus had intended for his disciples to live in the expectation of eternal life. 
and it just didn't work. Give me three years. This makes me feel better. As a pastor, after three years of ministry, Jesus ended up with nobody at the end. It looks like, yes? Are you living in expectation of eternal life? So let's just walk through what's happened. Last week, we answered this question, what does the death of Jesus kill in me? We saw that it kills guilt, destroys shame, and removes isolation. Today, what we want to see is, what does the resurrection of Jesus bring to life in me? There's more to the story than his death. In fact, if Jesus doesn't rise, you would be just, there's, there's, we'd be forgiven corpses. We need more than that. We need more than that, and Jesus has more than that. So let's walk into the scene and the setting. Jesus has been crucified on a Friday afternoon. He was buried before sundown. A very wealthy religious leader, actually Joseph of Arimathea, who was not buying into the whole we need to kill Jesus program, he actually is seeking the kingdom of God. He asked Pilate boldly, hey, can I have his body? He's dead already. And Pilate gives it to him. He buries Jesus or has him buried in a tomb, a huge tomb. Now, poor people like Jesus do not get buried in tombs like that. Joseph was in the chips. He was well-to-do, and he had a tomb. He put Jesus in it. It even had a round stone, which is uncommon, uh, so it could be sealed. So he did that before sundown because um, the Sabbath was coming, and they wanted to get that done. Uh, Otherwise, he'd be up there. So he does that. It's Sabbath. Nothing's going to happen between Friday night and Saturday evening. And Saturday evening, after sundown, the shops would open up again in Jerusalem. Apparently the women, some of the women, went out and they bought spices, things to anoint Jesus' body. Now, this is for their heart. This is not for Jesus. Right? They had watched their Lord die. They had everything to lose, friends. Especially Mary Magdalene. Everything to lose if Jesus is dead. But she's not going to find a risen Jesus. She's going to anoint him. She's going to see that he, he's buried properly. And as they're going, this, this question pops up. Oh, man. What about the stone? Like, th- things keep getting worse. Oh, yeah. I mean, we can't even do this. We spent the money on this. Now we're going to be there. We kind of want to do it right in the morning, right? Like when nobody's out there. And then they're confronted with something so beyond their expectations, it doesn't even register. In fact, I don't even have a category for what they experienced. One of the words that's used here is the same words that Jesus used in the garden, troubled. Just so knocked back on your heels. So unexpected, so surprised, so bowled over, I don't know how to respond. This is what happens when they start having a conversation at the open tomb. So I want to pull from this text three things that it means to live in expectation of eternal life. Three things that you and I need to do. One is this. You need to embrace the resurrection. If you don't do that, you will not be living in expectation of eternal life. Secondly, you need to embrace grace. Sounds simple, but it's not. And lastly, you need to embrace the resurrected king. So let's go here. Embrace the resurrection. I want to pull this cat out of the bag right now. This is a falsifiable faith. If you're coming to church and like, yeah, I think I'm going to listen to the Christianity thing again, or, you know, Aunt Sally drugged me, so I have to come. Know this. This faith is falsifiable. You can prove it wrong. Now, if you're a Christian, you're like, oh, pastor, that's not the thing you say in Easter. Yes, it is the thing that you say in Easter. 
And, and here's why. Because the text says it. Now, before we go there, just understand that Christianity is, is not a set of ideas that you live by. And if you do a good job of it, then you go to heaven. It is not that. The gospel is a relationship that you learn to live in, in which God gives you his own righteousness. He adopts you. He forgives you. He cleans guilt. He wipes away your slate. This is what the gospel is, but it's falsifiable. And here's why. Because it depends entirely on what's happening before these women. If Jesus does not rise, you have wasted an hour plus of your time today. It's falsifiable. Another worldview really does that. God is so secure in this. He's like, look at it. Look at what I'm presenting. Even the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Christ is not raised, your your faith is in vain. This is open scrutiny. Friend, do not fear this. Embrace this. Here's what you need to fear. Fear that you don't take a long look into the tomb. Um, Verse 6, the angel says, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Look. So an angel is a messenger. That's what, that's what their name means. But listen, he doesn't shy away from the truth of what happens. Notice he says, Jesus, who was crucified? That yet, yeah, we saw it, you saw it, you were there, we were there. Who was crucified? Doesn't shy away from the truth, but challenges. Look, this is where we laid him. In other words, you're looking for a Jesus that doesn't exist. Now, some of you are in this camp. Hey, Mary, you're looking for a Jesus that doesn't exist. You're looking for a dead, dead Jesus. There's not such a thing. He's risen. He told you as much. He's not rebuking her. He said, go to Galilee. Remember, he said he'd meet you guys there after the resurrection. You're looking for the wrong Jesus. You've created a Jesus who's dead. He's not here. He's not here. Let me throw another question out on top of that. But honestly, couldn't this story have been fabricated? Could have been. That's honestly what most critics would say. I'm going to give you just a couple things that God in his grace throws at us to give us confidence. Well, first of all, is they're, they're alarmed. They're terrified. Nobody expects a resurrected Jesus. Nobody. Rome doesn't. Israel doesn't. His disciples don't. Do you find it weird that Peter's not there? None of his disciples are there? Is that, is that weird to you? It should be weird to you because in this gospel, three times Jesus says, I'm going to be given up. I'm going to die. Then I'm going to raise again in three days. One more time. He continues to tell this over and over and over. And nobody was bold enough except for the women to actually go to the tomb. And they weren't even looking for a risen Jesus. So they absolutely do not expect Jesus to rise. Isaiah 53, we read that last week. 700 years earlier, a vivid description and prophecy of the resurrection and of Jesus' crucifixion and that he would rise. None of his disciples were there. Listen, this is not the way to write credible fiction. If you're a gospel writer and you're trying to create something, you don't do it this way. It's just bad writing. Secondly, Mark names names. Again, Three times in eight verses, he gives the names of these women. You know what that is? That's a credible source. Go ask them. I don't know them. Go ask somebody that knows them. 
They were there. They're, you know why you name names? So that somebody can go verify. This is an historical account, not a legend or a myth or a fabrication. There's source citations, eyewitnesses. And lastly, just give us a body. End it all. Rome, give us a body. Religious leaders, give us a body. Show it. That ends the argument. Nobody is ever presented. I mean, the apostles didn't have it. They were terrified. They were running. They were gone. So, yes, it's falsifiable. But it's total victory. This is resurrection. It's total victory. You need to see it as this. It's not a magic trick. It's not proving that Jesus is God the Son. All that it does, it is total victory. See, death is a separator. I don't care who you are or what you have. When you die, you lose everything that you've ever accomplished, everything you've ever loved, everyone you've ever loved. If you've never looked hard into that, look hard into your own tomb, right? So part of it is understanding that. Death separates us. And Scripture is very clear for the wages of sin is death. Death is not an accident. Mufasa lied to us. It's not the circle of life. It's actually the circle of death. It's not fun, right? Nobody wants to die. And the essence of sin is, I can do this on my own. God, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. Unless you're going to run my agenda. That's the essence of wickedness, the essence of sin. Death grows out of that soil. See, the resurrection is a complete overthrow of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of death. It's an inauguration of the kingdom of God. In Christ, in the resurrection, God the Father is stamping Jesus' life and work and death as our sin paid in full. Complete vindication. I don't care who believed that Jesus raised. God does. Pilate doesn't. Nobody did. Nobody understood. Complete vindication. If you put your trust in him, I don't care how you live your life. Everybody can laugh at you. I mean, there, there was a church. I have a friend who's a Sri Lankan, and he has a church. 200 people were bombed on Easter service and some, and some bombings over there. They are vindicated. They are, they are vindicated. They are cheered in heaven. So when you, you unite yourself to Jesus by faith, and you will lose if you trust him. You will lose things. It ain't easy following Jesus. I'm going to throw that out there. Complete vindication, forgiven, you're a new creation, you're freed, you're healed, and oh, by the way, your body will be healed. Don't miss this. Jesus is glorified. Body, mind, spirit, all fully healed. But I'm not healed now. You're going to be. If you want to understand what your future is, look backwards and see the risen Lord. Fully known, fully loved. Not by your work, by his. One theologian says this, God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and you're invited to belong to it. Here's the question I'm throwing to you though. Do you even, like if you're a critic, unless you, I'm going to be honest with you. Every single person in here that claims to be faith, you know, who's professing faith in Christ, a Christian, disciple of Jesus, every single person has doubts. Every single person came from a position of skepticism at one point in time. So I'm not making fun of you if you're not believing this, but I just want to ask you this question. Do you even want this to be true? 
You're like, yeah, I knew I was going to hear this, right? Jesus rose from the dead. Resurrection, come on, man. All right, that's fine. But do you even want this to be true? Because if you don't want this story to be true, where the king of creation gets off his throne, becomes man, writes himself into the story of creation to redeem creation, specifically you, the creature that he loves, and he gives himself up, not as a moral example, but to save you, to wipe your slate clean, to give you a new life, to give you a future. And he's obsessed with you. He's just crazy about you. If you don't want that story to be true, I'm going to call you out on that. You have a story just like it. I don't know what it is, but you're supplanting this. You need this story. You think like this. So, listen, you can't find what you're not looking for. So be shocked. Take a long look into the tomb. Live in the expectation of eternal life. First, embrace the resurrection. Secondly, this, embrace grace. Listen to verse 7. This is the angel. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. I'm just going to put myself in the story for a minute. That is not what I expect Jesus to tell his disciples. Oh, I would have had some things to tell them. But it wouldn't have been, hey, let's go spend some time in Galilee in the country. And they were gone. They were, they were gone. Peter, the leader of the apostles, remember what he said? Jesus, if I have to die for you, I will never leave you. Jesus is like, mm, hold on before you say any more. I'm going to stop you right there. Since you opened up that bag, you will deny me three times. No, he does. And he, wept, he weeps. He's a broken man. He goes back to fishing. Jesus, and we don't see the rest of it in Mark, but in the other Gospels, especially Luke, we do. He loves his disciples. He shows up. The first thing he says is peace. When he finds Peter, he cooks for him. You know what he doesn't say? I told you so. I'm so sick of you, man. Like, you couldn't have hung out for a day? You couldn't have led the disciples to the empty tomb? Come on. He says none of that. Grace. You know what grace is? Grace is not God being nice. We've reduced grace to kindness. Now, let's push it up to love where it belongs. So grace does not lower the standard. We, we think grace is, well, God just winks at my sin. No, he does not wink at your sin. You don't want him to. That's called injustice, and it destroys the world. You know what grace is? God meets the standard. Jesus himself meets the standard. He lives a life in concert with God's will to the point of obedience and death. Right? He pays for sin. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? I know you tried. It's fine. No, love does not do that. It goes all the way. So Jesus is not coming back to pay them back. He's coming back to find them. He's coming back to find them. Why separate Peter? You just keep picking that. Go find the disciples and Peter. You're like, oh, he's not a disciple anymore. He blew it. No, he is. If you were Peter and you had denied Jesus three times, what would you think you're not? Loved. 
accepted, affirmed, certainly not a disciple. You blew it. There's people in here today that cannot see themselves as belonging to God. That's for other people, man. You don't know me. Listen to these words. Go find Peter. I know he's not going to be with the disciples. You drag him. Meet me in Galilee. Embrace grace. And there's a trembling joy. Look what they do. Verse 8. And they went out and they ran. They fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And Matthew's gospel adds this, which is important. With fear and great joy they ran. They took off. Who wouldn't do this? They were terrified. And in that terror, there was a kernel of hope and joy they'd never felt before. And it made them more terrified. And they rolled out. Trembling joy. That's this idea that you know what's coming. It's going to happen. And you're going to be there. Whatever it takes to be there, you will be there. I don't know if you've heard this news, but um, there's a college, Rochester University in Virginia, called University of Virginia, and they're, uh, I don't get the joke, but okay, their uh, men's basketball team won the NCAA championship. Did you guys hear that? Here's the truth. Some of you, I'm not going to name names to protect the guilty, some of you actually traveled to Minneapolis. To watch the final game. Can I ask you a question? I see your smirks. Why did you go? I'll tell you why you didn't go. It wasn't because of their spotless record. I mean, they're good. You went with trembling joy, didn't you? But even still, you went in the hope of victory, not in the fruit of it. Now, if you were smart, what you would have done was just go to Charlottesville a week later if they won. And I, I wasn't there, but I know people who were there. Remember, we were, we were planted out of Charlottesville. I have to keep reminding them, Tony Bennett is not your savior. <laughs> UVA is a great school and all, but come on. The celebration was fantastic. Why? They're walking in victors. We did it. Your faith in us was vindicated. We did it. We won. That's real trembling joy. These women, they're not, they're not talking about it. They just know it. What? What? He's alive. We've got to get out of here. We're going. Trembling joy. Fear had seized them. Amazement creating new categories they'd never had to think about. Total vindication, right? Trembling joy is is running in the fact that the victory has happened. That is the resurrection. That is how to live in the expectation of eternal life. You've got to embrace grace. God is not expecting you to become something before he receives you. And if you believe that, you'll never come. And secondly, if you will come to him in faith, you will never be the same. So lastly, embrace the king. Not just the king. You have to embrace the resurrected king. Did you notice how this book ends? 
It ends on verse 8. There's an epilogue that's put on, tagged on it to make sense of it because Mark is so abrupt. He says, and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Why in the world would you end a gospel story? You know what this feels like to me? This is like when you're watching your favorite show on Netflix and then it starts buffering, like the circle of death. It's meant to feel that way. And they ran and they were afraid. When when you're watching something that happens, what do you do? First of all, you scream and you throw something at the TV. Then you're like, well, how would I want it to end? Oh, I know how it's going to end. That's going to happen. And, uh, you know, they're going to stop the bomb from blowing up and get on the helicopter and everything. You will import a ending to this. Mark wants you to understand this is your story now. You don't know how it ends. What are you going to do about it? You've seen the whole gospel. You know that the answer to the question, is Jesus the Christ? Is he the true king of Israel? Did he come to save and redeem? You know the answer to that, even if they don't. And the light's just starting to dawn on. This is your story. Can't end this way. Who do you say that I am? And now we're back to the gap. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he your spiritual advisor? Does he run the spiritual department in your life? Or is he the resurrected king? Does his word save you, empower you, and lead you? Are you yielding to his spirit? Are you expecting God to yield to you? Right? Is there a gap between what you're expecting and your present reality? How are you managing those expectations? What are you living in the expectation of? I will tell you for my friend and I, here is our expectation. My happiness depends on me. If that is the expectation you're living with, not only will you end up miserable, you will never know God. Which is the essence of misery. Listen, I have a better expectation for you to embrace. Eternal life. Jesus is very clear. Eternal life is this. That you know God and the one whom he has sent Jesus Christ. It's a relationship that God puts you in. So many of us, in fact, I'm going to put all of us in this boat today. Faith is an act. It's not just an assent. It's not like, yeah, okay, I heard the, I heard the facts. Cool. I believe in the resurrection. It's the act of faith, right? Is your life, are you willing to give your life for him? See, faith is like that act of trembling joy. If you're that sure of the victory of the resurrection, you're going to do it. You're going to act in faith. So how do, we, how do we act in trembling joy? Well, the first for all of us is to turn and trust. This is what repentance is. You turn from sin. You turn from your own salvation story. You turn from everything that you find essential to your life. But it's not bad. It doesn't matter. Turn and turn to Christ. Let him be your righteousness. Let him be the Lamb of God. This is what he came for. Let him be your king. Let him be your sacrifice. Live for his glory. And then, just like the angel commanded, see, go and tell. That's for all of us. 
Do you truly believe this? And I do. You just can't stop it. You want other people to see it. Your life will become about making God smile. You want to please him. This is evidence of new life and also making him know. Live in this expectation of eternal life. Not in the expectation that someday you'll be good enough, that through faith in Christ you have it. This is what the resurrection is about. He imparts life to you. You cannot find it on your own. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. If you don't know him, call on him. Submit your life to him. You have reason to celebrate. I'm going to finish um, with a few words from a very old Easter sermon by Melito of Sardis. It was the second century, and it, it, it answers this question really well. Who do you say that Jesus is? He rose up from the dead and cried aloud with this voice. Who is he who contends with me? Let him stand in opposition to me. I set the condemned man free. I give the dead man life. I raise up the one who has been entombed. Who is my opponent? I, he says, am the Christ. I am the one who destroyed death and triumphed over the enemy and trampled Hades underfoot and bound the strong one and carried off man to the heights of heaven. I, he says, am the Christ. Therefore, come, all families of men, you who have been bound by sin and receive forgiveness for your sins. I am your forgiveness. I am the Passover of your salvation. I am the lamb which was sacrificed for you. I am your ransom. I am your light. I am your savior. I am your resurrection. I am your king. I am leading you up to the heights of heaven. Don't let go. I will show you the eternal father. I will raise you up by my right hand. Jesus reveals the Father and is revealed by the Father to whom be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Friend, you need to celebrate. This is the resurrected King. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that I don't need to find a reason to celebrate. I don't need to find a reason to make my life matter. Your love for me has been proven over and over again. Let us learn to live in this expectation that eternal life belongs to us. Let us embrace the resurrection, Lord Jesus. Let us embrace that our relationship with you is by your work, not ours, by grace. Let us embrace you, the resurrected King. We worship you.